Hello, and welcome to Film Unhinged. My name is John Gillens, and on today's episode, I will be discussing some of my watch lists, some things that I've been watching over the course of the last week or two. And for my feature commentary, I will be discussing the movie Blood Simple. So, first, let me talk about a few things that I've been watching over the course of the last week or two. Uh, I want to mention this TV show called Travelers. It's on Netflix. And I was having really high hopes for this TV show. Like, when I first heard about it, I was listening to another podcast, and they were mentioning how much they liked it. And I thought, well, yeah, I'll give it a shot and see how it feels. And and Travelers is available on Netflix. And from the onset, when I turned on the first episode it felt old like and it, i don't think it was on purpose it felt like it was made back in the 90s uh for network television it had this weird kind of vibe going on with it and you know i'm all about nostalgia sometimes so like you know that doesn't bother me too much it just i guess initially popped out as kind of odd to me i, I it didn't seem very modern in its aesthetic and in, it, in its delivery so I gave it a shot for two episodes and I don't know. It's, it's interesting. The whole premise is, is kind of quantum leap ish. So you have these guys, these, or these, these entities, if you will, because we don't know male, female, I guess you can assume that a male goes to male and female goes female. But what happens is they're, they're travelers that inhabit another person's body. So you're introduced to a lot of different characters at the very beginning, and you get to see what they're like before they're taken over. And then that, that body is then taken over by this new entity, which is a traveler. And they time travel to prevent situations from happening that would ripple through history and cause, you know, a, a large amount of, of danger or, um, uh, negativity, I guess you could <laughs> sum it up as, uh, to a group of individuals or a city or country or whatever. It's led by Eric McCormick, who is probably best known from Will and Grace. He's fine in it. He's the FBI agent at the beginning, and um, he's kind of searching off, searching around for these different um, people that are, are uh, causing blips on the FBI radar. And it's each one of these individuals as a traveler. So first off, it just kind of seems like forced uh, all these black web and and weird, dark Internet things that we're looking at. You know, for all I know, it could be true because I'm not in that. Uh, <laughs> I don't venture into those areas on the Web. But it just the way it's done, it seems like it'd be too easy for the FBI to come across with some of these things. And I don't know, the overall ex excitement of the episode is not necessarily a strong I, I just didn't feel as pulled to the to continue on with it as I had heard this other person describe his experience with it. And he was telling me, oh, this is a fantastic show. Give it a shot. You'll love it. So listening to it or watching it, I I didn't I don't find that for me. So I'm going to pass on it. But I just thought I'd share that and let you know what my feelings were. If you ever did see it pop up on Netflix and thought, hey, I wonder if this is any good. So my opinion is Travelers is not great. It's got some fun moments, but overall, it's just kind of a slog and I, I, I'm pushing myself to get through the episodes and it's not as fun. Uh, something I did watch uh, movie wise over the course of the last couple weeks that I want to mention is A Quiet Place. And I had thought about doing a whole episode on A Quiet Place, but I don't know. I just I just wanted to throw my my two cents here in this little uh, watch list. So. As you've probably seen out there, there's a lot of 
uh, hubbub going on about this movie because it's been number one over the course of the last weekend, made a lot more money than it had projected even. And for a, you know, a more independent, scary movie and one directed by Jim from The Office, John Krasinski, uh, also starring him and also written by him or partially written by him and also starring his wife, Emily Blunt. I don't know. Like it, it had a cool premise, I thought. And I just remember hearing sneers and snickers whenever they showed a trailer for other movies that I went to go see. So I wasn't sure what the reception would be for this movie. And I didn't know how I would like it. I hoped I would because I enjoy watching John Krasinski. Um, and I really like Emily Blunt. And so when I sat down to watch the film, the thing that bothered me the most about this movie, and it wasn't even the movie, it was everybody else in the entire theater. Man, because this movie is so quiet, everything is so audible. Every creak in a chair, everybody chomping on their food, everybody groaning, or you got a guy next to you who's got maybe some gas issues. And, and not the, uh, out the bottom, but out, you know, belching or, or, you know, you can hear it bubbling up in their chest and coming up through their, their throat. Oh my gosh. It's the most annoying sounds. And all of these are exemplified because this movie is so quiet. So I, I love the movie. I thought the movie was a lot of fun. There was a lot of, a few things that I didn't care for that. I thought that it would maybe transcend, but instead it just kind of like accepted. This is kind of where it's at. And it, and it did some things above and beyond the, the average horror film, but some of the things that I didn't care for, let me start with that. I didn't love the typical jump scare. They had so like a handful of them, like four or five different jump scares that were just, you know, freak me out in another way. Don't, freaking just do jump scares. It, and it seems like it was unnecessary that they could have done it in a different way, but it, they, I don't know, I guess that that's the direction they wanted to go in, but I didn't appreciate it. And I thought, you know, some of them were really, really basic. Others had a, a little, you know, uh, creative flair to it, but overall I, and it's not like I have an aversion to jump scares. It's just, well, my body does apparently, <laughs> but I don't, I don't really hate jump scares. It's just, I thought, man, this is going to be something different. And I thought with a quiet place, I thought, well, how are they going to get us terrified with it being quiet? And I thought, oh, this is the most prime opportunity for a film to utilize pure terror, right? As opposed to just a jump scare, which also in a, in a lot of these instances required, uh, you know, the score to be amplified and, and brought in to, you know, help, help accentuate that moment of jump. Anyway, uh, I loved, I, I liked the monster. I didn't love the monster. And I feel like there were parts of the monster that I liked others that I didn't. And I don't want to get too detailed because there's a lot of people that are listening to this that probably haven't seen it. And I'm not doing a spoiler section for this, but it reminded me of another, um, idea that people have used for this type of monster and with, and it had some, some pieces and points that made it more unique than these other things that I'm, I'm referencing in my mind that I will hopefully spell out to you, uh, in ways that you would pick up, but it just felt like it looked the same as something else, but maybe with a tweak and I liked the tweak, but I don't know. And then another thing that I, I didn't care for was the, the CGI of the monsters. I felt like it, it just seemed kind of haphazard thrown together. And, you know, obviously, you know, I 
shouldn't have that big of an opinion because I'm not the guy in the room making the monsters. Obviously, if I did it, it wouldn't look as good as even what they turned out. But, you know, we've come so far along that I just had an expectation that I was hoping that it would be a little bit better and different. But it it didn't really exceed that for me. Overall intensity of the film, I thought was fun. There's a really great scene with Emily Blunt's character. And I, I loved how that all played out. And you know, it really poses a lot of different questions on what would you do in certain circumstances as life continues if you were limited to not making any sound? And what would others do around you and how you would have no control over the fact that, you know, people maybe in the same area could put your life at risk because of their, you know, inability to keep quiet in certain circumstances. Uh, but anyway, I, I felt like it's definitely something that should be seen. Go watch A Quiet Place. You can find that in theaters right now. And uh, it, get, hit me up with uh, any questions or, or any comments that you have about it. If you liked it, I'd love to hear about it. Um, let me throw in those two tidbits really quick. If you have anything that you would like to have me look at or review for the coming weeks, you can f uh, reach me at filmmakerjohn, that's J-O-N, john, at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Film Unhinged. And please rate and review me on Apple iTunes. You can also find me on Stitcher and Google Play. Every rating and review really helps my podcast and its prominence in uh, being seen and visible by other people. So I'd greatly appreciate it if you did. Now, moving on into today's feature commentary, let's discuss Blood Simple. was from the original trailer for Blood Simple, and you probably noticed that there was no dialogue. I wanted to share this on purpose because there are actually some longer moments in the film where no words are said, and the movie really effectively utilizes sound effects and facial expressions to really tell the, the thrilling story. Um, the following is from IMDb about Blood Simple. It states, A rich but jealous man hires a private investigator to kill his cheating wife and her new man. But when blood is involved, nothing is simple. Now, all this comes from the Coen brothers. And this is their very first feature film. Back then, I'm sure they wanted to go by the name Coen brothers, or maybe they hadn't even thought about it. But uh, Joel Coen was the one that got credit for directing this film, but this is the launching film to where they are today. A little bit about this film. The title is actually based on a phrase from the Dashiell Hammett novel titled Red Harvest, uh, in which blood simple, the, uh, the words blood simple is a term coined to describe the addled, fearful mindset people are in after a prolonged immersion in violent situations. And Blood Simple was written by Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen, uh, who later made Miller's Crossing, which is also based on that same novel, Red Harvest, which if you haven't seen Miller's Crossing, definitely check that out. But if you are, are clicking on this because you're a Cohen fan, then of course you've probably seen Miller's Crossing. This movie actually has 
quite a few names that you probably recognize now, but back then you probably wouldn't have. This is actually our introduction to Francis McDormand, because this is her very first role. And it originally was going to go to Holly Hunter, because she had auditioned for the role, but had to actually back out because of her role in some theater production. And Holly Hunter and, and Francis McDormand were actually roommates at the time. And Holly Hunter pushed Francis McDormand into auditioning for this role. And funny enough, Holly Hunter did actually end up getting a part in this production, but it was only by lending her voice to a uh, recorded message on an answering machine. The year this movie was made was 1984, and it also happens to be the same year that uh, Francis McDormand married the director, Joel Cohen. And they're still together to this day. It also stars John Getz, and he's got a really familiar face, and he's been in a lot of small roles within different type of TV shows and movies. Uh, some that you might recognize later on in his career was Social Network. Earlier was The Fly. He was also in uh, David Fincher's Zodiac, and one that I didn't realize until I th- had to think about it and also looked at IMDb is that he had a small role on the TV show Better Call Saul. And besides John Getz, there's Dan Hedaya, who also stars in this film. And you'd recognize him from The Usual Suspects, Mulholland Drive. And he actually played Alicia Silverstone's dad in Clueless. Now, originally, when they were making this film, they cut together a trailer that they were trying to utilize to sell to different studios and and garner more money to budget for the film. And originally, instead of Dan Hedaya in the role of Marty, they were going to go with Bruce Campbell of uh, Evil Dead fame. So, but they ended up going with uh, Dan Hedaya. And then of course you have M. Emmett Walsh, which uh, if you don't know that name, you definitely would recognize him if you're familiar with Blade Runner. He played Bryant, who was the, uh, I guess you could say police captain or commissioner in that film. Just an astounding performance in this movie. He plays this private detective named Lauren Visser. And uh, in fact, nowhere in the film is his name actually spoken, though you do get to see the name Lauren on this cigarette lighter that he uses. We won't go too much into detail about him until we get into spoilers, just because there's there's some things in, in that you could discuss about his character that would be a little bit more spoilerific. So uh, just know that this movie is so much fun. It doesn't have the feeling of someone's first film. There are a few cuts that felt a little jarring, and the rest was definitely helped by the talented cast, most of whom who had been acting for a good amount of time. And it even has Barry Sonnenfeld as a cinematographer, who later went on to be the cinematographer for Raising Arizona and Miller's Crossing, both of which were also done by the Coen brothers. But also he did the movie Big, starring Tom Hanks. He was a cinematographer for that. And in addition to filming the movie, he also provided the, uh, there's a, a point where Dan Hedaya's character, Marty, after he finds out some disturbing news, he, he throws up on screen. Apparently, Baron Sonnefeld did the, uh, the voice work for that throw up. So, kind of interesting. When you look at the film, there are many ceiling fans in this film. And I started to look at how these ceiling fans could be interpreted. And to me, it's kind of a twist on the film noir genres uh, Venetian blinds uh, it's kind of just an aesthetic choice to kind of enhance the scene but they also were used to kind of transition from different shots in uh, a few different circumstances the score uh, even has moments that change from shot to shot and I thought this was an interesting tidbit not that I've ever seen it pointed out to on online or anything but the the main theme actually drops a certain note 
uh, with certain characters and situations and adds it back in at uh, other times. And you'd really have to sit down and actually analyze when it does and doesn't happen. But with each time I've seen it, it, I've just wanted to enjoy the experience, you know, so I haven't actually sat down and tried to to figure all that out. Um, The film is not, though, without its issues. There are shots like the bar tabletop sh- uh, d- dolly that rises and falls as it goes over a drunk patron and is, is kind of both distracting and also inventive in a certain way because it really makes you present in its depiction, right? Uh, there are other cases that can be made with continuity that maybe that, you know, the, the film is lacking. But my feeling is if you're paying attention to those instead of being absorbed into the film then there is a problem. And in most cases, the problem is with the film, not telling a good enough story to keep your mind off of those issues. But with this film, it would actually be something wrong with you because this movie is freaking awesome and it ranks among the, the best of the Coen's work. Uh, so I don't know if I've tattered it enough or if you've gotten the sense that I really enjoy this film, but I want to move into spoilers so I can talk a little bit more in depth about some of my favorite scenes and, and set pieces inside this film. So let's move into spoilers for the movie Blood Simple starting right now. Okay, so the thing I really wanted to talk about first off was a little bit more about M.M. Walsh's character, uh, Lauren Vassar. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting is that he is just a rancid character. You can tell this by his double standards, right? Because you know there's a moment in the movie that he's, you first kind of get this glimpse of him as this private investigator who's checking in on the the fact that Francis McDormand's character is having an affair with John Getz's character uh, behind Dan Hedaya's back. And Dan Hedaya hires him for this, this information, but doesn't necessarily want to visibly see any of it. But Lauren Vassar just throws in the tidbit and the picture of them together just because he's that kind of character. He's just despicable. And the thing that I love most about his character and the way that we can tell how rancid he is, is that there's a couple moments in the movie that flies literally land on his head or face and he doesn't flinch or seem to acknowledge it at all. It's just kind of fascinating to kind of see that this guy is in the muck so much and he's kind of like, you know, attracting the flies. And this is this is the type of person that he is, is that he he lives in this dirt and kind of relishes it. Uh, but the my favorite scene in the movie has got to be with him towards the end. And I'm going to jump straight to it because this is what really made the film for me. There is a scene where he is trying to wrap up loose ends. And one of those loose ends is the couple, the main couple that he was supposed to kill for Dan Hedaya, but instead thinking it easier to just kill one person instead of two, he decides to kill Dan Hedaya, but then he leaves clues behind that these other two that were originally the, the uh, targets uh, that they've actually picked up on, or, or, or at least he thinks they are. And so he's after them both. And he shoots John Getz in the back through the window, like doing a sniper shot. And then the next is uh, Francis McDormand's character. He shows up at the place. He walks over from where he was shooting at and he sneaks into the house. And as he's trying to figure out where she's at, she decides to climb out this window and go across to the next room. Okay. And you can tell he, uh, that M.M. Walsh's character has recognized that this is the situation at hand. So what he does is he reaches out the window. He he's, he's notices that the other window across the way is not too far away. So as his hand reaches over, he opens the window. And as he does so, Francis Norman's character takes a knife, 
throws his hand down onto the windowsill and stabs it with a knife, pinning it down to the windowsill. Now, the way that they capture this, obviously there's, you know, if you were in a wide angle at all for any of these shots, it, it just wouldn't have that same effect because you're you're in close. These close-ups really make you in the situation with this Lauren Vassar's character, right? So he's pinned down with his hand across the way and his face is against the wall practically in, or in the, in the window and he's trying to figure out how he can get out of this situation. So what does he do? He takes his gun and starts shooting through the walls and as he does so, he's make, he's weakening that area and he just starts to like punch right through the wall. And the whole time you're thinking, well, why isn't Francis McDormand's character running? She doesn't understand the gravity to which this guy will, will go to finish the job, right? So he finally breaks through the wall with his fist and reaches around and pulls the knife up out of his hand. Just harrowing and thrilling and completely exciting and just I don't know it just takes everything that you've seen so far in the film and brings it up to like this peak level that you you can't believe you're you're watching what you're watching for this first time film from this this couple of movie guys that are, are making movies I loved it and and knowing the background of these filmmakers I I started to think wow so this is where they began, and they they really, I mean, they started at a really high level. That was su- super exciting. So I love that scene. And it's funny, because I read somewhere that apparently Joel Cohen had trouble convincing M. Emmett Walsh to pick up his hat off the ground in the movie's final climactic ending scene. And Walsh had all these like uh, reasons, like a laundry list of reasons why his character would not do it. Um, each of which Cohen tried and failed to debate with him. And so after a few minutes of arguing on the set, Cohen asked Walsh, look, will you just please humor me? To which Walsh replied, I'm humoring you by doing this freaking movie. And of course, you know, he swore, but I'm not going to say it. But (laughs) interesting that one of his most profound and exhilarating movie roles, and M.M. Walsh kind of has this like, you know what, I'm I am humoring you to the extent that, you know, I really wouldn't do a movie like this for any old reason. I'm doing it to humor you. I just thought it was astounding that this is the type of attitude that he had. But it makes sense. I mean, you got these beginning filmmakers and some some other problematic issues that I've talked about earlier with continuity and so forth. But honestly, the, the film is just super thrilling. You have to give it a shot. If you have not already seen this film, find it, whether it be at your local uh, library because you can rent it from there. Or, of course, you can find it available for purchase or rent on iTunes and Amazon Prime. You will not be sorry you did. And with that, we'll close. If you have any feedback or suggestions on what to review in the coming weeks, you can reach me at filmmakerjohn, that's J-O-N-John at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at filmunhinged. And please rate and review me on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And I repeat from before, every rating and review really helps me understand where to go with my podcast. And uh, I love the idea that I can introduce these type of films to you if you haven't had the chance to already experience them. Because honestly, there's a lot of movies that are out there and there's a handful that people would be really regretful if you if you missed out on those opportunities. And I'm hoping that I can at least spread some of that love. So thanks again and have a great week. <laughs>